This is Indie ColorCast, powered by Radio Kismet. This is Andrew Benioff with the Independent Lodging Congress for the Indie ColorCast project. Today, I'm happy to welcome Zach Hurley. Zach is an entrepreneur and the co-founder and CEO of IndieSource, an apparel manufacturer and fashion consultancy that is redefining the way clothing is developed, produced, and distributed in the U.S. Welcome, Zach. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, you're, I want to start a little bit with your background because I think it's quite interesting. Um, your educational background is in international business, marketing, and Spanish. How did you get involved in fashion and manufacturing? Well, I don't know if there's an initial connection there without really thinking it through, but I, I've learned that it's like heavily related uh, over time. How did we get into uh, uh, like manufacturing at all? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, and, and fashion. I mean, you're, you have a business and marketing background, and I guess you could, could go into anything. Those are fairly broad, but w- why manufacturing yeah. and, and fashion? The only reason that it, it turned into this was because uh, we saw a major problem and we saw an industry that seemed really, really, really archaic and slow and behind what we had seen in tech and other areas of, of business. And it, it was simply, that was it. I mean, it was basically in the very beginning, it was purely a uh, questioning of, of what's going on. And the reason we got into it, I had a, a friend, uh, my current partner, who whose other friend had a relationship with a factory. And... He was uh, getting some stuff produced out of there. He was helping to import into the U.S. And it was just that little that little thing, just that little connection of having knowing somebody who was sort of getting involved into it that brought us into that space. And then from there, it was purely just asking questions, learning, and sort of getting a sense of what was the current state of affairs in the industry. Amazing. So IndieSource started with two young Ohio University grads. Obviously, one of those was you. Walk us through the beginning stages, specifically what about it uh, made you confident enough to leave the comfort of your sales position? Well, I can't say that it was confidence necessarily. It was more like I have to do this thing and I'm going to, um, I'll tell you, I'll put you in the, in like in the mind that I was in at, at that time. So I was, I was in the sales role, just, I mean, it was really great, but you know, I think like a lot of people out there who have jobs, like you're looking at your position and it's not that you hate it, but you're sort of like looking into the future and you're seeing, okay, well, what would my trajectory be? And you're like, okay, well, I could be my boss. Or I could be like the director. I could do, you could go up the chain and looking at it just like did not seem appealing to me at all. This idea of just going up the chain. And that was around the same time that I was reading entrepreneurial books that I was talking to other friends about building things. Now, a little bit of backstory, my partner and I had started a fraternity together, which in at Ohio University, we, we we founded this chapter, and so the reason that that's important is because me and him had already sort of talked to each other about the fact that if we could get fifty guys who just want to party and convince them to do community service, to get great grades, and to do all sorts of like jump through all sorts of hoops and things like that, if we could get them to do that and 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 uh, sort of push them beyond what's in front of them to be a founding father, then we could start a business and pump people up in the same way we could pay them too. So that's sort of like the backdrop is that we had this, this shared experience together, me and my partner, where we had like done this amazing thing together and we had talked about it like, man, we should, we could start something. We could build something ourselves. 
And so that was sort of like always there. And we just never had uh, an opportunity to, to seize on that together. And so, you know, fast forward when I'm in the sales job and I'm kind of like, all right, this is kind of boring. I really feel comfortable with my ability as a salesperson, as a consultant, I'm talking to hundreds and hundreds of business owners about their problems. That was part of like my job. And so like, it's like, this is the same problem over and over and over again. It's not different. It's the same. And so I got it. And that was the point where I was like, all right, well now I have to make a leap. I have to just go and do this thing. And the way I look at risk is, well, you just have to look at what's the worst case scenario. What's the best case scenario. And the best case scenario was always so much greater than the worst case scenario that it just didn't make sense not to do it. Fantastic. So let's say, for for example, that I'm starting, I want to start my own fashion line, okay? And why why should I work with IndieSource as opposed to a manufacturer overseas? Cool. Well, I think the first thing to understand is, so we actually do produce some of our product overseas as well. The most important thing to think about is, what is the need in the industry? It's not that we need more manufacturers, right? There's lots of manufacturers out there. That's not the problem. The problem, if you ask any brand or new fashion entrepreneur, is that there's poor communication amongst those that do exist. There's bad quality. There's little to no process and support structure for helping the new wave entrepreneur that like might be a solopreneur. That they're working basically by themselves. They don't have like a team of lots of people. There are so many issues with getting somebody from concept through to the process of where they have inventory and they have a supply chain that actually is stable. There's so many things that go into that that are not just about, can you cut and sew this product? It's like the glue. It's the pieces in between that, uh, the, the cutting and sewing, the not necessarily the add value, but right outside of that, th- that holds the whole thing together. And what we realize is that that is hugely lacking. And so that's why our model is, while we are a manufacturer, we're, we're also a consultancy and we're basically a, um, an extension or an outsourced production and operations team. And, and what we look for is brands who are maybe not looking to put on more on their payroll, but they want to have access to a team that has pattern makers, production, quality control, project managers, sourcing experts, sewers. I mean, our team is made up of all of the people that have these different skill sets. And together, we're able to build amazing products. Uh, it's not something that a typical brand is able to hire full-time themselves. And so we built this as a structure to support many brands. And then we determine, based off of the project and the client and their priorities, where are we going to produce this thing? What makes sense? That's how we do it. And it, it, we focus mostly on the business itself rather than on just making a product. Got it. Got it. Really, really interesting. Um, so t- tell us about the transition from sourcing internationally to locally in terms of profitability, quality, client satisfaction, et cetera, et cetera. Our general philosophy is that it makes sense economically and from a sustainability and you know not ruining the planet perspective to produce as much of the product as you can as close to where the end customer is. So that's like the core belief, right? Now, when you do that, there are a lot of things that, that you have to think about you also in the process realized how much you're, you're like not wasting, right? Right now, for example, uh, shipping costs have actually gone up because of the pandemic and everything. And so 
you know, brands are basically in a situation where they're trying to run a profitable business, profitable business, right? And instead of putting their dollars into into labor, into investing in people to make their product, mm-hmm. they're 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 paying pennies to people overseas, and then a ton of money into shipping and tariffs, and it's just kind of like a waste. It's like putting so much of your resources into these other things that aren't even really uh, of add value to the product just isn't, isn't a good sustainable model. So what we want to try to encourage is for people to think about how can I set up a structure that makes financial sense where the supply chain component of it really is leveraging what's localized. And so we, we have, uh, that's why, you know, a lot of times, you know, most, if we are going to do overseas, we do it in Mexico because it's right there. And we're doing it in a facility that we, you know, we know is a, is socially compliant and is is going to allow us to be fast in terms of our term. And you guys are based in LA, right? We're based in Los Angeles, so we do a lot of production in Los Angeles, and we do all of our development here too. So pattern making, all of the sourcing and the sample making is done in Los Angeles, and so it allows us to really work directly with our clients to for, to, for them to be hands on. And for them to be a part of the creation process rather than like shipping it off to some place in China that they have no idea what's going on. And then like getting something back that's wrong and feeling like they had no control over the process. So you guys have grown to be quite sustainable and ethical in practice. Was this part of the blueprint or a reaction to sort of eco-friendly or ethical trends? The best way that I can explain it is from the beginning, it's been all about fixing the things that aren't working. And so I've been asking and pushing fabric vendors in LA for sustainable fabrics for years, like way before anybody, you know, so what, what is this like sort of this, this connects to what is the market asking for? So I guess what I'm trying to say is people have been bringing this up to me for a long time. That doesn't mean it's been popular for a long time, but people have been asking me for it for a long time. And in the beginning, my answer was, well, you don't have a lot of options because the fabric companies have not made an investment in these types of products to make. They're still selling polyester, rayon, all these other fabrications uh, that really aren't sustainable. And that has, you know, so, so over years I'm pushing them like, Hey, we have all of these little designers that want to be able to produce quality, sustainable fabric and materials. And finally, now they're doing things like actually stocking it, having the, the yarn available. Some of them are even dyeing it and putting it in colors and they're focusing on that because they see that, but it, it takes time to catch up. So the sustainability component, it has always been there because we knew that it was important. Um, what's been there since the very beginning is the transparency aspect, because one of the issues that happened due to lack of transparency when people are starting is that they have manufacturers who make their product and then they like, they just get a product back from China, right? Now, if you're, if you're a baker and you are planning to start a business making cakes and you have one cake finished, you, you don't necessarily know all of the ingredients and how it was put together. Like you actually have to have a recipe. And so what most brands do is that they go out and they say, they talk to these manufacturers and then they get this cake that shows up at their door. And now they have a cake, but they're like, okay, now I'm the baker. How do I replicate this? How do I make more? What if I want to change something? The, the infrastructure and the little building blocks 
aren't there and there's no recipe. So they're lacking the assets needed to start a, fa- a company that actually can grow and scale. And why do I know this? I know this because most, not I wouldn't say most, but a really upsetting amount of people who reach out to us are reaching out to us having already gone overseas or having already worked. It's not just overseas. It could be somebody out of New York. Have you already worked with somebody else who made them samples or did a production, but left them with no infrastructure. And so now if they want to say this, this shirt that I'm wearing right now, if they want to um, adjust this, if they want to go into production on this, that they have, they don't have patterns. They don't have an idea of their supply chain. They don't know where the buttons came from. They don't know anything. And so part of the transparency is all around giving people the keys to run their own business and actually know what's going on. It sounds like you're transferring power back to the designers and the, uh, and taking it away a little bit from those overseas manufacturers where the where it's sort of a mystery what's happening. You're trying to give them the, the tools to understand their business better. Yeah, we want to give them the tools to know what's going on. And so when they, when we source, we were like, these are your fabric vendors. This is where you're getting this trim from. Here's where the labels are coming from. You should know where what your supply chain looks like as a business owner. And so these things are critical and we want to give them that. And in the process, like the, the benefit of doing all this is then you open up transparency and it isn't so mysterious and confusing. How can a company like IndieSource compete with quote unquote, fast fashion. Are you guys even in the same game or if not, who's your biggest competitor? I don't think we compete with fast fashion. Fast fashion is, well, fast fashion is, if you look at some of the fast fashion companies right now, they're not doing so hot. I mean, some some companies are are doing okay, but I mean, Forever 21 just, you know, I'm pretty sure filed. Um, Would that be like H&M as well? Is that- Fast fashion? Yeah, fast fashion as well. We're not, so one of the bigger differences there, so number one, you have a giant mega conglomerate corporation, right? And they are producing for the masses. Now, even though H&M or Zara might uh, appeal a little bit more than your traditional department stores in terms of the the style, I mean, the stuff that they're making, everybody knows, you know, like if you buy an H&M shirt, like what do you have, like a, a few months? you know, to wear that thing. It, so the, the, the entrepreneurs that are reaching out to, to us are specifically trying to create a product that is better and that will serve a real need in the community that they're serving. We are focused on, on product and solution-oriented uh, um, a niche market activities, whereas fast fashion is like, how do I just turn out as much as possible and try to get it to as many people as possible without really worrying about the consequences of that. So we're not competing with that. We're a different segment for sure. And we're, you know, while there is always going to be a market for people who want cheaper stuff, part of what we're doing in educating and each of the brands that we create can also educate about why what they're doing is better for their customer and better for the planet. Tell us a little bit about um, IndieSource's face mask line with a buy one, donate one model. Have you done anything like this in the past? It's really interesting. No, we haven't. Well, because, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we, we do have some other brands. We've never done anything like this. This was purely a pivot due to COVID. 
when the governor of California told us that everybody had to shut down, obviously we were like, oh gosh, like what is it? We're going to have to lay everybody off. What are we going to have to do? So it was a very scary situation. And um, we, we determined that we were like, we have everything we need to create PPE. And this was very early on. And so we made some masks, we, you know, got the woven cotton fabric. We had a whole, uh, you know, a space for a filter. We built a, a, a mask that actually was appropriate. And then we started selling them directly onto their, our, our website and selling them to different people around the country. And it really took off and it was great. And we built, we built a model in, uh, and the idea was a three-pronged approach. One is that we're going to get as many masks on people as possible during this time that need it. Two is that we're going to keep our employees employed. <laughs> and then three is that we're for any uh, sale, for every mask that's bought, we're going to donate uh, a mask to a service worker, a medical person, somebody that's out there actually doing, doing hard work and like, you know, putting themselves at risk. And so we've donated uh, thousands and thousands of masks to these people and different organizations, a lot locally, but a lot of people reached out. Um, and there's like, you know, all over the country that we've shipped out masks to as, as we've hit different benchmarks. So that's been really, really cool. So it was just a win, 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 kept us going, kept my team employed and ultimately, um, was a really, really awesome way to keep the business going while, uh, things sort of settled. Amazing. Well, uh, so, you know, post COVID this will end soon, I think. Um, it is, it's my fervent hope that it ends soon. And so, you know, in the next 12 months, things start settling down and we start to get back to normal. It's not going to be perfect, but how do you see IndieSource expanding post COVID? Two things we have going for us right now. One is that people are right now, people are home and they're trying, they're like the people that have ideas for products and they've been sitting on them. They're like, you know what? I got to do this thing. They're like, they have no excuse right now. They're like, all right, let's do it. Like they have the time. And so we're seeing a massive uptick in people that are like actually ready to like jumpstart this, uh, this project. And then, and then the second thing is that I think people are realizing that they don't want to be in a situation that we were in when COVID happened, where we're like, Oh, well, we're completely shut off from the rest of the world. We're now reliant on, uh, what we can do domestically. And so I think, and, and most of these people had no supply chain set up. And so for brands that already are established, what, what my call to them is like, Hey, have a diversified supply chain, have a structure set up so that if something like this happens, you're able to produce locally and not be out of stock and actually keep your business running. You put your business at risk when you are reliant on Bangladesh sending you stuff. Well, what if Bangladesh is shut down? What are you going to do then? You, you can't do anything. So you need to have other hubs where you, uh, you're able to produce quickly. And so as we move into, uh, it's not even post-pandemic, right? This is still going on. Nothing's, it's actually worse now than it's ever been. So correct, correct. Uh, I don't know when that will happen in terms of post-pandemic, but right now we're still dealing with every single aspect of this, this uh, globally. And so for, for, for entrepreneurs and brands that want to limit risk, not have so many, so much like overhead mm -hmm. uh, on their staff and to diversify their supply chain. That's why I think we, we serve a very, very important need for them. 
And so we're going to be expanding based off of the brands that say, yes, I want to, I want that. I want to be a part of that. I want IndieSource to be my, to have my back and to be my support structure as I grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are not going to be the guys that, um, that just say, yes, sure. Yeah. We'll just go ahead and just, if you send us your patterns, we just cut and sew. Uh, we're going to check your marker. We're going to make sure that the stuff you send us is actually done properly. And it's, you know, it's really funny because I've even had people like get mad. They're like, why aren't you, why aren't you going faster? It's like, we just, if I had a dollar for every time we saved a a $50,000 order because we checked their work, you know what I mean? And so it, we serve the people that actually want their like long-term their business to be more successful. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm looking for is not a like erratic behavior, but people that really want a partner that they know is going to do the due diligence to support them and to make sure their supply chain is healthy, because that's the number one issue. When you ask anybody, what's your main problem? It's like, well, I have supply chain issues. And then of course, you know, there's, I'm having trouble selling, <laughs> which is a whole nother conversation, but those are the two main things that, that I hear. Fascinating. Um, no, Zach, it's been a really interesting conversation. As we get ready to sign off here, I, I have one more question for you, though. Do you have any advice for young entrepreneurs and you know how they can differentiate themselves? I mean, there's lots of business opportunities and lots of puzzles to solve. Like you found a puzzle, you found an issue, and you went out to solve it. I think that's how a lot of entrepreneurs start. How, how can they differentiate themselves? And what advice do you have for them? If you're doing a business like mine, then it's actually not that tricky because you find a problem. And so now you know what that is. So if you look around at other people that are solving it, usually they're doing something. They're not really solving. And so in this scenario, nobody else that was a manufacturer was solving the problem. So all I kept doing was asking the market, what do you need? And then doing the thing that they need. Uh, Another way to think of it is, just kind of do think about what would it look like to do the opposite of what everybody else is doing in the industry. Play that psychological game to see what would that even mean and how could you do something entirely different. So, it, you know, this is a great opportunity for there. There is a massive need for entrepreneurship in every industry, whether it's fashion or hospitality, especially right now. I mean, there's so many different things that entrepreneurs can do to solve problems, and so. But you have to get started and have momentum around it. So what I mean by that is you can't just like dip your toe in and like, look, you actually have to say like, all right, I'm starting this company. This is what we do. And then from there, you pivot. Uh, When we first started, I was just running production. I didn't realize that the whole world of product development was really what the main need was for people to get into the industry. I didn't realize that people had ideas, but they had no way to actually make a sample. And so I was over here making product, doing production for people that already had that. But what I realized is that there's an even bigger market for all of these entrepreneurs that are now able to make Shopify sites and want to sell direct to consumer, but they don't have the ability to make this custom button down. Like, how do they even make one? Boom. That completely opened up for me. And now that's a problem that we're solving, but I wouldn't have necessarily known that if I didn't get started. On the other thing. So it was just a pivot in a natural expansion due to market uh, demand. So to sum that up, you're saying, you know, you got to take the first step if you're going to be an entrepreneur. You got to get into it and you'll figure you're not going to know everything from day one. You're going to realize a lot of things through the process, the journey, 
But unless you start, you don't get anywhere. You have to start. You have to get momentum. And people, the, the biggest mistake that I see consistently over and over again in any industry is basically making the mistake that doing research is actually starting. Don't count that as starting. And I'll give you an analogy that I thought of the other day. Imagine that you're, you really want to be a basketball player. You want to be a professional basketball player. So what do you do? You go online and you watch a bunch of basketball and you watch all the different best players shooting and playing basketball and you watch and you research and you study and you what? What are you doing? You're just sitting there watching the screen. You're not out there just throwing your first shot. You're not taking an actual shot. So it's important that people don't lie to themselves and think that when, that they're actually shooting free throws when they're just watching a basketball game. That's the difference. You have to get out and just start shooting and don't uh, don't let your mind trick you that you're doing that you're playing basketball when you're just watching. So that's my advice for getting started. Zach Hurley, it's been a really great discussion with you. I appreciate all your insights. Really fascinating. Thanks uh, for joining us on Indie Colorcast. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. This is Indie Colorcast, powered by Radio Kismet. And I'm Andrew Benioff, founder and chairman of the Independent Lodging Congress. Indie Colorcast is where we explore independent hospitality, entrepreneurship, and society at large through conversations with leaders in our community of hoteliers, designers, and others to encourage idea generation and new ways of conducting meaningful business. Indie Colorcast.